Tate Chronicles now transmitting. Welcome to the Tate Chronicles on Healthcare Now Radio. And now, here's your host, Jim Tate. Good day, citizens of the free world. From border to border, coast to coast, and to all the ships at sea, I bring you a warm welcome. This is your correspondent, Jim Tate. And thank you for tuning in to the Tate Chronicles. Join me as we cut through the fog that exists at the leading edge of healthcare technology. My guest today is uh, one of my favorite people in the healthcare domain, Jay Fisher. I've known Jay for a number of years. He's a partner uh, at C3 Partners. C3's focus areas include management consulting, healthcare AI, and macro software, and really clarification and guidance. Jay, thanks for joining the Take Chronicles today. Well, Jim, I'm flattered to be asked. You know, the topic for today is the macro program. Jay, I know you've been through thousands of pages uh, over the years of the regulatory documentation, answered hundreds of questions since this macro baby was born. So thanks for being willing to come on the show today and <laughs> answer a few of my questions. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, no problem. I mean, we, we, we do read through every federal register that comes out with macro. And, uh, <laughs> I can do a job. I'm, I'm glad you do that, Jay. That, <laughs> that, that helps me claim a little time back to my life, so I don't have to do it. Um, what but, the boss get to cherry pick, you know, and I choose to do that one. So. <laughs> um, but in a, in a nutshell, what is macro and where did this creature come from? Let's go all the way back. Well, you know, all the way back, it, it kind of is a, a, an offshoot of an old program called Meaningful Use that, that Congress and CMS had. And, and the goal of both Meaningful Use and MACRA were to help reduce government costs of, of Medicare, Medicare program, while sustaining quality. Um, and, and what MACRA has done um, that, that that's different is in, in Meaningful Use, it was sort of a checkbox. You know, you just said physicians would file information and said that they filed it, and that was all there was to it. What MACRA did was it created scorecards. So, and then tied a physician's score to their Medicare reimbursement. So the better your score on MACRA, the better the better your uh, Medicare fee schedule adjustments are. And to my understanding, this, uh, the MACRA score you talk about, this is a... Um annual score uh, uh, that is um, achieved or calculated. Uh, of course, the algorithms can be exceedingly complex, but uh, for either individual providers or it could be for uh, a number of providers that are in a tax ID number. Um, and uh, the reimbursement, to the best of my understanding, is that there is a baseline reimbursement um, and based on your uh, macro slash MIP score, you can get a positive adjustment or negative adjustment. So it's carrots and sticks. It, it, it's carrot and sticks. And interestingly, the way Congress set up the program is that it's uh, they, they refer to it as revenue neutral. Mm-hmm. And essentially what that means is that Congress expects some of the physicians every year to be have poor macro scores and get penalized and those penalties fund a pool of money that gets reimbursed out to those providers who have 
good scores and rewarded. So the the more penalties that are incurred, the more money there is available to pay my performers. Yeah, it's it's uh, funny, of course, uh, the government entities in this don't like to use the word penalty, so they call it a negative adjustment, reimbursement adjustment. Yeah, very clever. <laughs> yeah it, it, it is clever. Well, they make the big money. Um, but uh, these, uh, the, the range of um, uh, how much you have a positive adjustment as opposed to a negative adjustment, the maximum minimums there, uh, that has changed over time. Where are we now with all that, Jay? Well, in, in the early stage, the the, the, uh, the negative adjustment was fairly small, but for, for about the last three years now, it's been it's at the maximum nine uh, percent negative adjustment. Of course, the positive adjustment, like I said, it depends on how many physicians are penalized or receive negative adjustments themselves mm -hmm. in a year. And and the reality to that program is so if if you do nothing at all in macro, you earn a nine percent. Penalty. In other words, your Medicare fee schedule for a full year is reduced by 9%. But the, 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 the reality is that CMS made the program fairly easy in the first few years so that the thresholds to achieve uh, positive adjustments were pretty low. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the rules had a lot of loopholes and relaxations in them to make it easy. The upshot of that was through about 2021, even though there, there's a lot of, I guess, noise around macro about how difficult it is and how expensive it is, through 2021, from 2017 through 21, never had more than 3% of the physicians in the country been penalized. So to put that number into context, when Congress created the program, they built the program such that every provider who scored below an average would be penalized. Well, CMS held the average artificially low for a long time. Long-term, long-term, CMS expects and Congress expects that roughly half of the providers in the country are gonna be penalized in any given year. Context for that statement, um, in 2020, so it, when you read the Federal Register, far in the back pages, there's a uh, an assessment that CMS publishes each year. This is how many providers, what percentage of providers they expect to earn penalties. Um, for 2022, CMS expected for the first time ever that about 30%, maybe 33% of the providers would get penalized. In 2023, they projected 30%. Um, and they haven't yet published, I haven't seen the 30, 34 numbers. My guess, personally, as I look at mm -hmm. trends and, and how people are scoring, I'm guessing that, that 2024 is going to come pretty close to that 50% number. Now, yeah. this is still yeah. a big surprise to people because the 2022 scores and penalty percentages were really just published uh, mm. about a month ago. So this is all new information. You know, this penalty is a big surprise. You know, um, and so uh, part of the, to me, uh, black box aspects of this, Jay, maybe you, you can answer for me. Um, and so if, uh, when we say only 3% uh, of providers were, were penalized, well, uh, some of those providers perhaps maybe um, uh, were in a rural area or they're not doing a lot of uh, 
uh, Medicare reimbursement. Um, uh, but then you, and so if they get penalized, uh, you know, they're, they're losing a percentage of not too large a pile of money. But if you have a junk Medicare provider, maybe doing a lot of procedures or, or things like that, and uh, is billing quite a bit, and, and they're able to get the maximum positive adjustment uh, to be zero sum, they're going to have to be a, a, a lot of folks who are penalized to make up, you know, for the uh, large Medicare billers who have uh, a positive reimbursement. Is how does that work out? Well, it, 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 you're you're absolutely right. Is that in general the smaller providers tend to have a harder time of it. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we can get into a lot of the details, but the probably the the core idea comes around how providers report quality and those providers who have bigger volumes of patients have an easier time coming up with enough patients to come up with to, to have a quality score that's really representative of their practice if your patient volume is too low you just don't get enough patients in your quality measurement engine to really evaluate how well you're doing and the way the scoring system works, those guys end up with lower scores. You, you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned quality because uh, we don't have enough time today to go into extreme detail of each one of the categories that makes up somebody's annual MACRMIP score. But uh, we know the category that uh, has the biggest footprint is quality. Um, and so uh, there's certainly, uh, uh, to, to do well in this program, it's not only to take care of your patients well, but it's also to report uh, quality measures that are, quote, high value. Uh, uh, and so, uh, you know, decisions are made on a provider or, or TIN level about what quality measures to report. Uh, and uh, unless there's some expertise making those decisions, uh, you can kind of be shooting yourself in the foot. Oh, absolutely. I think the biggest impact that any physician group has on what their quality score will be is the decisions they make at the beginning of the year on what measures they will choose to report. Mm. Because it's it, it there there's there's um there's depending on whether the provider's reporting out of their EHR or through a certified registry or or one of the other couple of methods there's a little extra admit not really work the physicians have to do although there's a little of that but it's work the administrative staff has to do in attaching quality compliance codes to every claim and, mm -hmm. and that that can be that can be a fair amount of work well and as you mentioned uh smaller practices may not have the uh, necessary expertise as to a large surgical practice that can essentially have somebody who's full-time working on this. Um, uh, uh, what services uh, um, do you provide relative to the macro program? What do you do for folks, Jack? Well, what we found that people value the most, it, it depends a little bit on the, on the size of the practice and the character of the practice, but the, the bottom line for almost all of them is information. You know, it's uh, it's what do we have to do to achieve the best scores with with uh, with, with macro. So our, our core offerings are around macro 
optimization, which tends to be quality centric. You know, what, what are you doing on quality? But we also help with the, you know, interoperability components and we help with cost a little bit. Um, so it, it's, it's generally all about how do we make the score better? And there's a couple tools and methodologies. We're certified as a CMS certified quality registry. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've got, uh, we've got a couple of AI products that help automate that process of, well, of fixing. Yeah. And, and so is this that, uh, macro monitor I've heard talk about that you have the software application? Micro monitor is our kind of our core software tool. Um, one of the things that we think is very important, and, and, I, and I, I'm a little surprised I don't see more of it in the marketplace, is that you know pr providers can get worried about macro and and what their scores are. But most important thing is to take the scores that you're earning and convert those scores into a financial, um, you know, into a financial statement. Uh, and I think that that's one of our one of the uh, weapons that we use to help our clients to make a decision how much effort to put into macro, right? I mean, if if you're if the most money you're ever going to make or lose on macro is you know five or ten thousand dollars a year, well, don't spend twelve trying to you know trying to fix it, you know. Sure. Otherwise, or if you've got a million dollars on the plate, well, then you better you know it's it's worthwhile focusing even a full time person if you have to. So that. Financial piece is, I think, unique in terms of you know what we provide. Certainly, there are some other smart players doing that, uh, but I but I think it's probably the context within which providers should be evaluating their their macro activity. If you're just joining us, I'm Jim Tate, and on this episode of the Tate Chronicles, I'm speaking with Jay Fisher of C3 Partners. Um, Jay, one thing I'm uh, interested in is uh, when this whole uh, reimbursement scheme was launched, uh, there were four categories. Uh, one of those categories is cost. Now, we were always told in the early years, don't worry about the cost category. You don't need to do any work. The government will figure all that kind of stuff out, as opposed to like quality measures. You need to make sure you're selecting the right ones and you're reporting them in the right way, all those things. But there's obviously something new about the cost category. What can you tell us about that? Well, do you have an hour or two? Well, I've got we've got about twelve minutes. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, co co you know, cost was you know, if if you go back, it, it's the main reason that the government needs to pay attention to this, right? I mean, cost of healthcare is very mm. high, mm -hmm. um, and of course, you know, if you focus on just cost, you know, you can reduce the cost, but you're gonna compromise patient care and quality. So CMS has built a program that I think does a reasonable job of balancing those things. And there's some things they did it good with it. Unfortunately, I don't think that the way that CMS measures and communicates cost creates an environment where physicians can impact their own cost or even know about what their cost is. And, you know, prior to, prior to, 20, uh, you know, pr prior to, you know, 2022, it really didn't matter much. I mean, you know, 20, 2019 and 2020, you know, cost was either um, re-rated totally off the page altogether. And because, mm -hmm. because of pandemic, you know, CMS said it's, you know, we, we, we can't really, um, 
you know, we can't really hold people accountable for it. Prior to that, uh, you know, cost was just a couple of percentage points. But in 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 2023, some providers' cost came in at 30 percent. And that there are, you know, I mean, you talk about the law of unintended consequences. The problem with the cost program is that CMS calculates cost on Medicare claims, and they, they they do it in the background. And the reason they have to do it in the background is the way cost works is let's say Dr. Tate is a primary care doctor, and he's seeing patient J. And, uh, you know, patient J has uh, an inpatient admission. Well, Dr. Tate may, may recommend that Jay goes to the hospital or not. You know, Jay might go to the hospital apart from Dr. Tate. Um, but once Jay has been attributed to Dr. Tate for that inpatient admission, all of Jay's costs from the, the, the hospital visit to the radiologist to the surgeon to everything else gets attributed to Dr. Tate, even though even though Dr. Tate had nothing to do with anything other than maybe the initial diagnosis that caused Jay to get in, in the hospital. So Dr. Tate's records have no way of knowing what are the costs associated with Jay mm. because they're across a whole bunch of other providers. And Dr. Tate doesn't even necessarily know until about June or July after the close of the fiscal year that he was attributed for, for a cost category. So it's, you know, I, I think that, you know, that, that, that part of the program really needs some thinking and some adjustment. I understand the theory is mm -hmm. that there's, you know, primary care gatekeepers that can influence sure. where a patient goes or what services they receive or, um, you know, finding efficient deliverers of care. But the way the program works, it doesn't quite do that. AMA and the AHA, the American Medical Association, mm -hmm. Hospital Association, have published very insightful papers back to CMS requesting and suggesting uh, improvements in the way the cost program is structured. It's necessary, but the current structure. Uh, I understand. Really do. I understand. You know, um, efficiency. Uh, you know. Um, one of the things I often hear about is if somebody goes to their primary uh, uh, care provider and they've had a lower back ache for a couple of days, um, it, from a medical standpoint, uh, it's probably uh, not appropriate to send them for a very expensive MRI, uh, you know, immediately. And so, uh, you know, to get away, especially radiographic imaging and scans is, are, are typically um, high-ticket um, billing items. Um, and, um, you, you know, some way to uh, rein in that automatic thing of, well, let's just immediately get a scan on everything, you know. Um, let me jump to a couple other topics before we totally run out of time. Um, the biggest question, has the MACA program improved patient care? Well, I, I think you know, we have to ask our physician friends. Yes. Uh, my gut feel is that I don't think it would have had a big impact on patient care. Although, although the one thing that I would say is, you know, the quality program is kind of, the quality part of the program is kind of a counterweight to cost. Yes. Right? Every MRI that you try and avoid, there's a quality measure that says, 
are you avoiding MRIs inappropriately? Right. And, and I think that what has happened is I've watched quality over the year, over the years. Um, you know, it's kind of to get the old, you know, the, the old saw that what gets measured gets managed. And, and I have mm. seen for almost every single quality measure that the physician performance on quality measures across the board has improved. Mm. So mm-hmm. if you believe, if you believe that quality that, that the quality measurement system that we use today is truly an indicator of physician quality and physician qualities and, and uh, an indicator of patient care, then you would then you would have to say yes, there has been some incremental improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, has it moved the needle from you know uh, you know care for uh, you know fee for hours as opposed to fee for outcomes? No, not at all. I don't think so. Well, um, and, and so. Um... Uh, providers uh, who are eligible and involved with this, um, I know there there's data like the quality measures um, that are submitted. Uh, there are other things that are attested to. Um, and the number, whether you score zero to 100, you score a 35 versus an 85, it really matters. Um, have there been any audits of uh uh, things providers have attested to or or their data. Have there been any audits yet? I haven't seen any. I, I haven't either. I haven't either. Of, of providers. I, I, I believe that they're out there, uh, but not quite to the extent they were back in the days when you and I were doing meaningful use together. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that the certified registries, the companies that calculate quality on behalf of physicians, uh, I have seen a number of audits of those organizations. Hmm. And in that case, the data that ultimately ends up getting audited is physician data. So sort of indirectly, there have been some. Um, but as of yet, I don't see big audits hitting provider groups trying to evaluate the accuracy or the validity of their submissions. Not yet. Yeah, well, once they, um, you know, tug on that thread, you kind of worried the whole Sweater may unravel. I mean, the auditing would be very, very difficult and complex. No doubt about it's that. Difficult and complex. And then once you find a flaw, what do you do about it? Exactly. You know, how, exactly. How recruitment would be much harder in this environment than it would in 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 uh, in an environment that had a different payment mechanism. Yeah, that's true. Um, if someone uh, maybe doesn't want to become a super expert in MacroMips, but they do want to keep up to date with changes to the program going forward. Uh, where should they look or what resources are available to kind of keep up to speed with things? I think there's, you know, I think there's a couple, you know, um, quite honestly, CMS has done a good job on their website around mm. macro. You know, it's qpp.gov, I believe is the name of the, uh, the quality payment program. Yes. It's it's pretty darn good, you know, and 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 there's a good help disk. I think the other resource is um, CMS publishes a list. It's on that website of of uh, certified registries, and CMS. One of the things that in order to be a certified registry, an organization has to be has to stay knowledgeable. They have to participate in monthly informational meetings with with CMS, um, and they have to commit to providing education and feedback to their clients uh, at least four times a year. So the, you know, the community of certified registries 
is is quite good. I think there are some consultants out there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the only certification that you know that, that provides kind of a third party uh, validation is is the CMS certified registry. And and again, I think it's good. I think that process is uh, is pretty darn good. Well, if um, our listeners want to find out more about your services, uh, consulting, uh, software tools, where do they go to find out more, Jay? Well, our, our website is macromonitor.com. Okay, thanks for that. Um, you know, uh, one of the things uh, back in the, uh, you know, kind of final comment on my side, I'd like to he- hear what you say about it. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier that you and I became acquainted and worked together during uh, the early years of meaningful use, yeah. uh, where the federal government uh, shelled out I don't know, tens of billions of dollars to help providers uh, adopt certified electronic health records and then achieve meaningful use. Um, and so the regional extension centers were formed and funded by the federal government. And I believe, uh, and so not only to, uh, you know, help selection of VHRs, but then like per provider, the regional extension centers got, I think, close to $5,000 per provider to help those folks, uh, uh, you know, provide uh, expertise and and knowledge and consulting to get them to achieving meaningful use. There's, there, I'm not aware of anything like that on, Mac or MIPS program, as you say, there's great information on the internet, but uh, there certainly is no funded entity that's going to come in and help folks. No, there's not. I mean, the old the regional extension centers that's kind of a blast from the past. Yeah, that, that was I, you know I thought that was a a, a good yep. uh, investment that the government made, particularly on behalf of smaller providers. Uh, but there there is the the closest analog to that today would be the uh, certified quality uh, registries. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Hard to believe, but the time is, uh, you know, as they say, Jay, uh, uh, sand, uh, grains of sand through an hourglass, and our glass, all the sand has kind of run through it here. Uh, so uh, to our audience, thanks for joining me on this episode of the Take Chronicles. And, of course, I offer a special salute to my guest today, Jay Fisher. Jay, thanks for coming aboard today. You're very welcome. Thanks, Jim. You can find more information on this show's program page at healthcarenowradio.com. That's healthcarenowradio.com. Until we meet again, here's wishing you smooth sailing and safe harbors. Tape Chronicles transmission ending now.